G'day mate, 40 here. So it turns out that Tucker Carlson's not the boss. I mean, highest rating bloke in TV news. I mean, the only TV pundit that uh, it would ever occur to me to care about. But uh, turns out that uh, Tucker Carlson is not the boss. You know who turns out to be the boss? Reality and the situation. So not such a great time for uh, loose-lipped pundits. All right, when you work for someone, you are their tool. You are their instrument. Pundits, all right? All right? You don't have unlimited freedom. You, you never have unlimited freedom because you're always working for somebody, all right? You're always somebody's slave. You're a client slave. You're a slave of the situation, all right? You're a slave of, of your boss. <laughs> so... Let's have a look here at at uh, Drudge Report. Fox fires Tucker. No goodbye. Staffers celebrate. Producer claimed rampant sexism, anti-Semitism, harassment. So according to the Los Angeles Times, he was brought down by the claims of Abby Grossberg, worked for TV News for two decades, and she claimed that uh, working for Tucker, his community was filled with sexist, misogynistic, and abusive behavior. So, who is Abby Grossberg? Well, she looks fun. (laughs) Doesn't she look nice? Okay. Yeah. So, she brought down Tucker Carlson, according to the Los Angeles Times, but, of course, Tucker Carlson brought himself down. You're always a slave to someone. And even if you're bringing in an estimated $100 million a year for Fox News, as Tucker Carlson was, all right, uh, if you become too much of a liability, legal, culturally, with advertising or otherwise, right, you'll be knocked out. So so maybe maybe we should take cues from uh, how people look, all right? I mean, I don't think I'd want to hire someone who who looked like this. Right, I think I'd be laying myself wide open. So, Xbox News producer Abby Grossberg says she's found more evidence relevant to Dominion voting. She says she repeatedly told Fox lawyers about this or that problem, that she wants to do her part for justice. Yeah, happy, happy lady, right? So, word, word for the wise, perhaps, you know, don't hire someone who looks like this, you're just going to get into trouble. And uh, never never think that you're irreplaceable, all right? Because we're all vulnerable. We can all be pushed out. Because in the end, it's not Tucker Carlson who's the star. It is Fox News who's the star. Now, he's the only TV pundit who I care about because I think on occasion, you know, Tucker has some good and important things to say, and I really don't give a damn about anyone else. But in the final analysis... It's Fox News that's the star of the show. And Jack Schaefer makes that point today. Tucker Carlson's exit shows who's the real star at Fox. No one is irreplaceable at the network. It was designed that way. Well, pretty much no one's replace, irreplaceable in real life either, right? We can all be substituted for. And when you're an employee, all right, you are somebody's instrument, meaning really, in effect, during those work hours, you are somebody's slave. And people don't want someone as an employee, generally speaking, you would embarrass them outside of work hours. So what the heck happened to Tucker Carlson, right? It doesn't really matter who replaces Tucker Carlson in the 8 p.m. block because the talent at Fox News Channel has never been the star. That's right. If I did Tucker Carlson's show, I could get approximately his ratings. Like Glenn Beck wasn't the star in 2009 when he generated the largest viewership Fox had ever seen in the 5 p.m. hour. Bill O'Reilly, right? subject of a zillion magazine profiles wasn't the star either. Both of them were carried out with the tide to positions of broadcast irrelevance when Fox News tired of them. And this is the situation that Tucker Carlson now finds himself in. Perhaps you recall Megyn Kelly, another Fox News sensation who hasn't had a career since splitting with the network. So what Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly didn't understand at the time and what someone should explain to Tucker Carlson today is that Fox News itself, which creates the audience, is the star and the star maker is whomever the network owner Rupert Murdoch has assigned to run the joint. So the nighttime hosts, talented as they are, 
are as replaceable as the members of the bubblegum group, the Archies, as interchangeable as the actors who played James Bond, and as expendable as the gifted musicians who played lead guitar for the Yardbirds. So Roger Ailes, the original architect of Fox, founded the network in 1996, and he explained his show-making philosophy to Andrew Ferguson of the Weekly Standard in 2017. So he's talking about the early evening news talk show, The Five, which in recent months has outperformed even Tucker Carlson's show. So he explained how he filled the slot vacated by solo artist Glenn Beck with an ensemble of pundits. Right, so go around the table, Roger Ailes told Ferguson. Over on the end, we've got the bombshell in a skirt, drop-dead gorgeous, but smart. He's got to be smarter, it doesn't work. Next, we have a gruff longshoreman type, salty but not too salty for TV. In the middle, there's a handsome matinee idol, like the Jesse Waters type. I guess, uh, is Greg Gutfeld the, the gruff longshoreman? Next to him, we have the Salvation Army girl, cute and innocent. But you get the idea she might be a lot of fun after a few pops. And on the end, we need a wise guy to cut up. Okay, that's uh, Greg Gutfeld. So when Roger Ailes finally cast the show with his types, he summoned them to his office, had them stand in a semi-circle around his desk to explain why he was calling the show The Five. The Five, because you are types. You are not people. Right? You're all about to become very famous. You're about to make a lot of money. But don't ever forget, right behind you, you've got somebody exactly like you ready to take your place. So don't mess up. Right? Everybody is replaceable by design, including Roger Ailes. Right? He learned he was replaceable as anyone else. So finding a Tucker Carlson substitute will be as easy for Fox as it was finding a Glenn Beck substitute or a Bill O'Reilly substitute. Right? There's always an understudy or two at Fox who has learned the art of demagoguery, you know, how to pander to the show. Okay, blessings, blessings. All right, let's uh, let's think about the art of reaction. Right. So I was just uh, reading a terrific essay in the London Review of Books. They got me. All right, London Review of Books got to me. They gave me this ridiculous offer, a year subscription for fifteen dollars. Right. So we we live what you could call the reaction economy. This is sociologist William Davies writing in the London Review of Books. So one thing that's very pop popular on the internet is seeing people's reactions. Like the first time they listen to a particular song, unboxing a gift, a, a video game, uh, reactions to two girls, one cup. All right. There's something about the, the seeming authenticity of people's reactions that uh, triggers a train reaction in us. So what makes a good live streamer and a good pundit? What made Tucker Carlson so good, right, were his reactions. And I took acting classes for my first two years in Los Angeles, and my acting teacher, David Payne, would, would teach me acting is all about reacting. And so he would, uh, he would teach me on camera technique and uh, audition technique. So... One thing you'd do is you'd constantly give people, you know, different different perspectives. So you'd, you'd come, you know, you drop your head a little bit, which makes your eyes pop, all right? Which the eyes, the windows to the soul, they make you more interesting when you just drop your chin a little bit and the eyes pop. But you don't want to hang out too long at any place. So you just move your head a little bit this way. Then you move your head a little bit that way. And then you come back around, move your head down this way, look up a little this way. And you allow people to project onto your face, you know, whatever they, they think is going on with you. And so if you're frequently giving people, you know, a gaze into your soul, right, and giving them different perspectives on yourself, you're much more compelling than if you just, you know, look, look straight on or you don't change. So you want to be moving around, giving people different vistas into, you know, imagining what's going on with you, how you react. So we are in the reaction economy. And on the right, you get comments like this. The louder the squealing from the left, right? The more certain people on the right will be that they got this right, right? This is culture war logic. This is known in the American right as owning the libs, primary objective of which is to enrage and trigger the opposition by fair means or foul, right? You can also call it trolling. And this is how much of the, the dissident right operates, that if someone else gets more upset than you do, then you've won, right, according to this, this particular mindset. Now, 
it's uh, it's not so black and white as that. If you sufficiently trigger people, they will work very hard to bring you and your side down. Even if you win a particular engagement, you may very well uh, lose lose the war. I was looking at uh, Colin Liddell's website. I liked how he he introduced Jason Kessler's note. Uh, Jason Kessler, the organizer of Unite the Riot at Charlottesville. Jason Kessler gracefully bows out of meta politics after Wigdats failed to buy him a computer. Another star has gone out in the distant right cosmos. My God, they're just falling, falling, falling. I mean, Jason Kessler last week, Tucker Carlson today, who's next? Another star has gone out in the distant right cosmos with the announcement recently by Jason Kessler that he will be stepping away from the world of distant politics. So Tucker Carlson was the only person really close to distant politics within the Overton window on TV. Uh, Jason Kessler, 39 and unmarried, said in an online message April 19th, the straw that broke the camel's back is when his Wignat followers failed to support him when his computer broke down. So in recent months, Jason Kessler is taking a turn from a more sensible nationalism and advocacy to an extreme K-word and N-word neo-Nazi version. Now appears that this was probably an attempt to tap into a donor base that would feel then motivated enough by strong emotions to subsidize his lifestyle. Did not turn out that way for Jason. So his efforts included sucking up to Greg Johnson, having Christopher Cantwell and David Duke on his podcast, and a change toward a shock jock style of presentation that kind of ill-suited the leaden personality of Jason Kessler. Recently, Jason Kessler blew more than the cost of a new computer on a trip to hook up with women in a third world country. None of this apparently has endeared him enough to his prospective donor base of Wignat's notoriously tight-fisted demographic due possibly to the frequent disappointments they have suffered at the hands of their supposed leaders. So here is Jason Kessler's own statement in full, which has a certain restrained grace and dignity combined with the unmistakable thwack of the door hitting him on the way out. So I had some commentary yesterday that uh, it's very easy to overestimate your own value and to, to think that you're more important than you are. And some people took that as a slam at uh, Jason Kessler. So Ultra Testosterone tweets to, to Jason. Dan Bra, Luke Ford says that you're upset because you're delusional about your importance. I don't know if he is delusional about his importance. I just say it's very easy to become delusional about your importance need to get back to reality about being unimportant, bro. You and Ford need to debate ASAP. Jason was outside of reality in terms of his importance, and that's why he didn't get funding or supporters. Isn't that your analysis, bro? It's okay, bro. Jason Kessler already doesn't like you, so that is why I proposed a debate. One last debate before you go. 40 versus Kessler. Bro, you need to get back to your old Wignat interview format. Talk about comedic goal. And I protest. I did not say that. I said that if one gets out of touch with reality, that is painful. But it is a useful prompt for change. And if that is true for Jason, then it, it is true. Still seems like uh, Luke Ford is on his neoliberal debunking kick. Ford likes to be boring. Those were the days. Ford versus Kessler on Kessler's lack of talent attracting an audience and being low value compared to Nick Fuentes or some other six-figure Amran guy would be epic. Ford has spoken. So uh, Z-Man apparently said at Amran he was pulling down six figures. Ford gave an analysis on how Kessler offered little value. Him leaving the alt-right would have no loss on the broader community. Ford said Kessler being broke was a product of Kessler not being able to influence people like Fuentes and he wasn't that important. Well, maybe not able to entertain people as much as Nick Fuentes. Jason Kessler needs to defend his honor ASAP. Luke Ford basically said Jason Kessler is a low-value wignat that isn't talented. These are fighting words, bro. Fuentes isn't relevant now. He appears, appeals to some weirdo incel community. Kessler would ragdoll Fuentes. They need to stream one last blood sports for all time's sake. Get the whole gang together from Mike Enoch to James Alsop to Andy Worski and J.F. Garapi. Okay, you're probably wondering what the hell's going on with uh, Fox News. Migrants, another tool to break into our country. This week they introduced a bill that would ban detaining 
gay, illegal immigrants. If a migrant gets caught crossing the border, all they would have to say is they're gay or lesbian or bisexual or trans, and then Border Patrol lets them go. They're out of detention. If your pickup truck has a rainbow bumper sticker, you can smuggle as many illegals as you want, apparently, without the consequence of detention. If you get caught, you know, just tell them your boyfriend is on the other side and they won't keep you arrested. Get scooped up at the Rio Grande. Tell them okay, so how much of a difference is there between this and Tucker Carlson? All right, this is at least 80% as good as a Tucker Carlson rent. rent. Tell them that you're trans and they let you go. Douglas Murray is a Fox News contributor. Uh, Douglas, I, I don't think there's any real hope. I don't know that this would ever pass, but it does reflect something about the worldview, the priorities of these Democrats. And what the heck happened? Kevin McDonald wiped from Twitter. Andrew Wang Lin banned from Twitter. What, what's going on there? It reminds me very much of something that happened uh, in the last 20 years in Europe. I covered the European migration crisis that peaked in 2015. And this was something that German politicians and others were terribly hot on, that there should be priority given to LGBTQIA plus people from sub-Saharan Africa and so on. And given the size of the population of sub-Saharan Africa, I always thought that uh, this was sort of unwise. Um, I mean, the, the, the population of people who identify as gay uh, across all societies usually is about 3%. The only uh, exception to that is obviously American college campuses where I think it's now 110%. But, um, but, but, but that aside, most countries have about 3% of their population identify as gay. Uh, Central and Southern America, you're talking about maybe six, seven hundred million people. So even if, even if everyone who said that they were gay or questioning or something automatically had the right to come to America and not be detained at the border, that's tens of millions of people right there who also have a right to just walk into America. Right. So I don't think it makes any more sense in America than it did in Europe when this was tried. And what do you bet, Douglas, that the ratio, the percentage of LGBTQ among the illegal immigrant population is higher than 3%, at yes. least by claim. Thank I think, you, I think it's going to be like those, like those campuses. It's going to rock be, it up. Rock it up. 75% like that. <laughs> Thank you, Douglas. Great pleasure. All right, up next, six cows. Someone, they need to put their cows. I got to leave it here, Tim. I'm sorry to cows. interrupt you. I got to leave it here. That's going to do it for us tonight on Jesse Waters Primetime. Be sure to check out the Will Kane podcast. New episodes every Monday, okay, Wednesday, and Friday. New, uh, Thanks Fox for being with News us. I'll show. see you again tomorrow. Have a great night. Coming up without Tucker Carlson. Okay, good jingle. Hi, everybody, and welcome oh, to Fox News Tonight. Yeah. I am Brian Kilmeade. As you probably have heard, Fox News and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. I wish Tucker the best. I'm great friends with Tucker and always will be. But right now, it's time for Fox News tonight, so let's get started. In September of last year, an FBI special agent, his name was Steve Frank. Okay. Sean Hannity, the last serious presenting Fox personality, because Hannity is still living in the world of 2005, says the, the chat. All right, we're living in the reaction economy, right? So our public sphere is dominated by events you could call reaction chains, okay, where reactions provoke reactions. You see that I make uh, Jason Kessler tweets that he's stepping away from metapolitics. I make some commentary about how easy it is to have an overestimation of your own importance. And then ultra testosterone tries to uh, up the intensity of the the reaction chain and uh, tries to provoke you know a debate or, or conflict because conflict is entertaining right there's a saying that all the world loves a lover it doesn't what all the world loves is a good fight so remember when comic uh, chris rock made a joke about jada pinkett smith's shaved head and her husband will smith he initially laughed but then when he saw how ticked his wife was and he, he strode on stage and smacked Chris Rock in the face on live TV. And so for days afterwards, you had all these different commentaries and reactions to the slap. And these reactions provoked further reactions. And suspicion descended on those who hadn't reacted at all. Everyone waited impatiently for the Academy's official reaction. Should Will Smith be banned for how long? Right? 
And the most intriguing layer of intrigue here is that initially Will Smith laughed at Chris Rock's joke. But then, then when you saw how mad his wife got, he completely changed. So we live in the attention economy, the reaction economy, also known as engagement. And if you enrage, you're much more likely to engage. Okay, which is why uh, I'm right-wing, so I just primarily listen to right-wing pundits, right-wing talk radio. So the ongoing theme of right-wing talk is that you are a victim and the host is going to fight for you against the evil elites who a bunch of satanic Democrat voting pedophiles who are holding you down. So the modern individual is who's just part of this reaction chain. It's quite different from the liberal philosophical tradition which is that individuals are autonomous agents possessed of reason, right? And different from the traditional conception of the self, which is that we're porous, right? So that what's going on next door affects me, what's going down on my block affects me. So I guess the reaction economy is much more like the traditional conception of the self. So I was just uh, reading a book about uh, 17th, cent 17th century uh, conceptions of the self, how much more porous it was, how much more people sensed that they could read each other's minds. So is this, uh, is this uh, Amazon with my, with my delivery? Okay. So I'm not playing Tucker Carlson much anymore, but you'll be glad to know that is going to free up more space for Dennis. Go ahead. Dillard. What are you guessing? I'm curious. Well, how do you know what light is if there's no oh, darkness? Oh, okay. That's a very excellent answer. That's not what they said. This will blow your mind. Oh, okay. They I'm said intrigued. without the will to do bad, a man wouldn't marry, wouldn't make a family, wouldn't build a house, and wouldn't work for a living. You so, say this in your happiness Yes. Book. So it's it's fascinating. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm a you. human recording machine, you and are. I'm a Dennis I'm, Prager specialist, right. expert. That's right. So I remember in high school when I heard this, and I thought, well, if all these great things happen because of the will to do bad, what the so hell is can the you, good of the will to do good? Can you, for our listeners and for me, can yeah. you explain the link between the will to do bad or, or why? It gives, have, yeah. it gives, well, for example, if you have no desire for material objects, you won't work. Right. Well, what You'll about be marriage? a lazy slob. What about marriage? marriage? Okay. They haven't arrived yet, but they're coming soon. <laughs> so much excitement in the chat about more Dennis and Julie. Yeah, Dennis Prager is the new co-host. <laughs> oh, so I, I was reading about this new book on computer chips. All right, Chip War, The Fight for the World's Most Critical Technology by Chris Miller came out at the end of last year. So all the reviews of this book uh, are highly positive. So apparently William Shockley, right, the founder of uh, computer chips, perhaps one of the most important early inventors, but uh, apparently he became a racist crank. Did you know that he had theories about dysgenics and genetic degradation and that racial differences were a form of natural color coding to warn about low intelligence? So he thought, I mean, how crazy, how cranky was William Shockley? Like he thought that you could judge someone's intelligence just at a glance, that nature had color coded people for our benefit and that just we could just look at, you know, someone's color and then deduce how likely it is that they are smart or how likely it is that they are criminally inclined or how likely it is that they're cautious. I mean, what a crank. I mean, that's absolute crazy talk. My God. The, 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 the racist things that people used to believe, we are so much wiser now. And, and thank God for it. Okay, engagement. All right, so we're no longer conceived of as autonomous agents possessed of reason and interests. All right, we are part of a vast complex network continually receiving, processing, and emitting information in semi-automatic fashion and in real time. So information and emotions bounce between tweets and YouTube shows and podcasts. They mutate as they travel. They become memes and jokes that spread virally. So political anger is when you're convinced that you and yours have been screwed over. That when you've been victimized by you know, something outrageous and unfair. But political humor is when you think that the other side has uh, wrong priorities. So 
everyone here on the show is on the right. So you may mock like the LGBTQ crowd because you say, oh, they're fighting for LGBTQ rights. But this is at the cost of coherence, of social trust, of the nuclear family, of traditional ways of forming community, about you know traditional ways of, of living that have proven themselves to work. And so making fun of LGBTQ or making fun of anyone in the political sphere, you're pointing out that what they value isn't really valuable, but instead what is really valuable is what they don't value. So that's what uh, political humor does. Now, I really believe that my grocery delivery is here. Look at what is happening today. How many kids are not getting married? And they, they think they're following their good urge. Oh, I don't want to pollute the world with more people. Oh, I don't want to have more carbon emissions. Oh, I don't want the burden of doing this. It, it's th- this desire partially to be immortal. People want children because they want they don't want to die. They'll live through their children, which doesn't really happen, but doesn't matter. It's instinctive. Anyway, they were being hyperbolic in a certain sense, but they were right. Mm. This, this, That's very interesting. I'll go further than that. I know me. I know me really, really well because I knew at, a, at your age, I knew. If I don't know me. I got so many delicious things coming but uh still still not here yet yeah what did william shockley ever accomplish that old crank okay so the reaction economy and what makes tucker carlson so good and what makes you know all actors and performers so good is their reaction so tucker would have you know all these very entertaining faces when he was listening to people so in the new attention economy or reaction economy all right, you, you learn how to increase follower engagement by monitoring the reactions that your words and tweets and videos and images receive. And so we're constantly getting feedback about, if we want it, about what works. And it's not whether it's feedback's positive or negative, but it's do you get engagement? Do you participate in the constant feedback loop? So this tends to provoke great anxiety right in our desperate hunt for feedback now need to give feedback right we frequently get steered in directions we did not consent to and may not wish to go man so much good stuff in this uh london review of books essay on uh the the reaction economy so what's really going on How have we come to imbue the split-second emotional response with so much cultural and moral value to the point where significant moments in our lives are arranged in pursuit of it? So there was this one couple that uh, finally got to take their children to see the grandparents. The grandparents had never seen their kids due to COVID. But when the couple was finally able to book the trip, he kept it a secret from his grandparents so that he and his family could arrive unexpectedly and then he could capture the grandparents' reaction on his smartphone for all posterity, right? So think about the cost for decisions like these. So the grandparents were denied the pleasure for weeks of having something to look forward to and of planning things to do on the visit, right? Not to mention having enough notice to keep their diaries open. But all these costs to at least other people were deemed worthy for that one magical moment that could be captured and replayed and posted online to be seen by others and get engagement and likes and and retweets. And then think about all the people who just game online, right? So the the successful gamer must be capable of sharing sharing a sense of surprise and excitement as the game unfolds. And then you'll have all these YouTubers who will film themselves listening to often famous pop songs for the first time. And you get to see their astonishment and delight such as in the air tonight when the drum break hits four minutes in. So the most successful reaction video makers just have this likable, innocent air. They listen in a spirit of wonder, not unlike a baby hearing something for the first time. So I love all those uh, videos of, of babies and people getting to hear for the very first time. I mean, I like this stuff. So why do we have this extraordinary growth of reaction content and how much is you know tucker's carlson's you know ability to convey his reactions on his face so key to his his success so he used to believe that uh you know people were rational and could uh, you know create their own lives 
now people are encouraged to believe that they are possessed of brains whose chemistry and physical makeup just shapes the way they feel and behave. So we've learned about brain plasticity, the way that we're physiologically altered by our life experiences, particularly when we're young. And then we learned about mirror neurons. So when we witness someone else experiencing something intense, right, our own neural circuits are affected in turn. And then the human face itself is just endlessly fascinating. We, we look for authentic joy or authentic shock or joy and shock at the same time. And so the people who are good at what I'm doing, all right, they're able to convey all these emotions, right? They are transmitting stations like Simon Cowell, right? He's a specialist in the manipulation of an eyebrow or a spontaneous look of surprise. Like how does a character like Piers Morgan you know, keep attention, right? He knows that what will keep him in the spotlight is the force, distinctiveness, and watchability of his knee-jerk responses, right? Like Kramer on Seinfeld. Right, which are designed to ignite these reaction chains. That's what Tucker Carlson did so well, right? ignite reaction chains with his reactions to what was going on in the world. So we have no term for this type of celebrity authority who successfully maintains an influential public position through his capacity and willingness to react in spectacular ways. Right? But we do have political leaders like Donald Trump, all right? He seems to be constantly on the edge of losing his temper. Uh, Boris Johnson, former Prime Minister of Britain, seemed to be constantly on the verge of bursting out laughing. And so they had very compelling personalities. And then with Nigel Farage, this is a guy who's a key figure behind Brexit, and he had the ability to, to forever appear angry and amused all at the same time. I don't know a damn thing about the world. So my first project was to know me. Because I assume I'm just like everybody else. Not in, the, in my behavior, not in my outlook, but in my, in my uh, constitution. Your, yes, yes. There's no difference between me and, 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 and anybody, certainly any man. And so I really, really wanted to know me. And I, and I realized that part of my energy mm -hmm. is my sex drive. And yeah, I, yeah, you I, said this last time. I have a lot of energy, as you well know. I have the same energy I had at your age. More. Okay, fair <laughs> Trust enough. Me. Right. I was I was asking sorry to interrupt. I was asking Dennis whether or not I should go to the Harvard Yale game because it's a six hour flight and you know I'll, the next day I have to film and I could just tell and you weren't being but I could just tell he was like please because you can fly around the world do eight shows you know do a circus act and run a marathon and you're like oh well, yeah I'm very lucky fine. and I, but but I really do believe part of it is I, I am very energized right there's a, there's, that is a battery you as a woman I'll bet you have met men who seem to you to have a very low sex drive. Because they, they don't radiate passion, energy, masculinity. I mean, it comes with a price not to have this drive. Mm. It comes with a price to have this drive. Yeah. You know, maybe that's why a lot of women are, A, not as energetic as men, and B, I think... That's, just, a good, that's an interesting Just point. my own anecdotal observation, women are more sort of depressed or they take, they take things harder. Look what we were just talking about, how the, the joking around on the show. You guys are very light. Women are much more serious and complicated. And maybe there's kind of that dark cloud because we, we just don't share the same sexual right. desire and drive yes, that you guys that, have. That's right. So that, that's very interesting. So, but a woman, I think a lot of women who are in touch with themselves, and, and a lot of women are not just as like a lot of men are not today, but if you are in touch with yourself... I think more and more young women are meeting men who do not radiate energy and passion right. and drive and masculinity, and that's not a turn-on to women. As a woman, I can tell you it yes, is most certainly that's, not. That's right. So when I have bad thoughts about other people, or honestly, I'm, I will be so open with the viewers. I'm, I'm truly right now trying to think about bad thoughts I have. I mean, I told you that one about my sister. I don't right. really know if that's a bad thought. It's just a It sounds bad. It sounds bad. But, but, it, but it, I actually don't feel guilty about that thought. Good. Because okay, I know, because truly it is it coming. It comes from a good place. It, most, it, it mostly is not coming from like... Okay, so why does someone like Dennis Prager have so much energy? Why does someone like Tucker Carlson have so much energy? Sean Hannity, why does he have so much energy? Because other people get energy from him. So he is, both these people have a lifetime of success. They get, they have an ability to read, you know, other people well. So Dennis Prager simultaneously talks about how he doesn't value uh, intelligence Whoops. <laughs> Just pointing out wearing pants. Uh, I'm wearing a long shirt. Uh, but then simultaneously he'll talk about how he can read other people's minds. So this ability to empathize, all right, is a product of intelligence, right? Your ability to empathize is measured by your intelligence quotient. Now, you may or may not choose to use your intelligence to empathize, but empathy is abstract thought. You're putting yourself into... Other people's situation is funny, not wearing pants. Oh, man, the number of, like, Zoom calls. 
where I'd like step off to the side and people would know it's like I'm yeah, uh putting on putting on some pants. Not just putting on the Ritz, but <laughs> putting on some some pants. So I don't think Preg is being creepy. I think he's being very honest. And because he's so honest, that enables him to connect with people. When you connect with people, you get energy. Get on the same page with other people, you'll get energy. If you get to be on more people's page, right, you'll get more energy. So if you are flying across the world and there were hundreds of people lined up to hear you speak, right, and you gave a good speech, you would be incredibly energized. Right, so Prager and Tucker Carlson and other effective communicators are good at getting on the same page with other people because they are way above average in intelligence. So when you recognize where other people are at, you're able to meet them where they're at, you're able to get into some sort of synchronicity with other people, then they will be energized, you will be energized. So Dennis Prager, right, talked about having as much energy now as, you know, when he was 23. But what would happen if Dennis Prager was, say, humiliated, right? Uh, what would, I have not echoed Tubin. I am no fap for a year, bro. No fap in June, but for a, for a tag, for a decade, not a year, 10 years, a decade. So let's say Dennis Prager got into a scandal and he had to withdraw from public life. Do you think that he would have the same level of energy? No, it would be absolutely crushed, right? If no one wants to associate with you, if you become publicly shamed, you will lose the primary source of your energy. We, we get our energy from others. <laughs> so have you ever had a, a nightmare about live streaming naked? I have never had a, a nightmare about live streaming naked. So yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a perfectly modest pair of shorts and this very classy long sleeve shirt and my fringes, my, my seat seat and a yarmulke and a smile. So yeah, when you're in disgrace in the world's eyes, it's really hard to have energy, all right? People people get depressed, you'll notice, and depression is, is not accompanied by a great deal of energy. So I'm sure you want me to put away, you know, the cold and frozen things in my delivery, all right, before before they thaw out. So let's listen to a little bit more of Dennis and Julie. I want to relieve myself of the burden. Right. It is this poor, precious right. sister of mine. And, I want, and also for your family. And of course yes. for my family. Right. But let's say I ha you know, let's say I'm annoyed at a family member and I think this person is so X, Y, Z or this, <laughs> that's the extent of my really bad thoughts. Like how, how does that fit into the paradigm that you're saying that the bad allows for the good? If we didn't have what the rabbis were saying, if we didn't have the bad thoughts, then we. No, no, that may not. No, that, that's a separate issue. Okay. I was just talking about the, that wasn't bad thoughts. That was the two wills that we're born with. Okay. So that, that is a separate issue. If well, you I have thought, bad thoughts I, about, go on. I, sorry. I thought that, I thought Yes, it was about the two wills, but one of the wills is the bad. Yes, will. right, but that's right. not the same as bad thoughts. Okay. So the, the bad thoughts issue was separate. You have bad thoughts about some relative, let's say. So what? My answer is so what? Are you acting on it? Are you are you mistreating them? That's the only question I have. See, I here's here's what happens to me. If I have bad thoughts about a family member, I will think to myself, Julie, they've done so much for you. Okay, they that's fair. So, you know, no, no, no. You that, know, that, that, by the way, that, no, no. You, that's fair for you to do that. Right. Maybe maybe your bad thoughts are not warranted. Right. I think it's completely good to check on your own self. You know, maybe I'm reacting in an irrational right. or ungenerous way. I think that's completely accurate. Well, I don't. Well, but what I don't. if they deserve the bad thoughts? What if you, after right. you've done this trial inside of you, you had a defense attorney and a prosecutor, and it turns out <laughs> they really deserve these bad thoughts? Then the only question is, how do you act? Right. If you don't mistreat them, then what's the difference? See, also people pay a price. Your your writers, I have no doubt, are fine. I have no doubt, are truly fine. People. I know this because I've, I've. And done you can this. just tell them they're writing. Yes, you, you can. You can and, just yes, tell. Of course, you can tell. Anyway, I know such people so well. They're in my I know, life. I know. So. But I think you pay a price by expelling thoughts that come to you naturally. You, you I, I, don't, I think you become less real. Hmm. And I, I am. How so? Because it's not you. Yeah, that's right. That's hmm. Th that, that's why. Well, I, the guy who says to you, you ask me, what do I think of the guy? Who says, oh, I, I see another one. I, I have no lustful feelings. So you ask me, do I think he's lying? I think he's lying. I said, I think he's lying to himself. Or he has trained himself, which is what he would say. I've trained myself not to think about it. Okay, so that's a very interesting thing about training yourself not to have a natural reaction. Right. So maybe that maybe that is commendable. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, 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 it's hard for me to imagine what process that would have taken that I could see a beautiful woman uh, uh, on a beach uh, and and think. Gee, God made such wonderful bodies for the human species. <laughs> I, I don't know why why I would still be me. Right. Well, this point about authenticity is really an exceptional one because 
I'll, I'll give an example rooted in real life. You know, I refer to these Shabbat dinners that I go to with Dennis, and they truly have become a highlight of my life. I mean, I love these people. I, right. I, it, my it is so much fun. Is you, it, it, it so is, and it's now my secret weapon. Mm-hmm. And you said, I think at our Shabbat dinner uh, this past Friday, you said, you know, the Shabbat was my university. This is That's where right. I, and I thought that is so well said because there is, we talk about everything. Now you know everything. how true it is. Unless it is. one experiences it, it seems like an odd it's thing true. to say. It's true. Well, of course they have to experience the right Shabbat. I mean, I'm sure there are no, Shabbat, but, yes. but this one in but particular is so al- real. Almost every traditional home, this I can say, having been to so many Jewish homes on a Friday night, right. almost, I'm talking about traditional Jews or slash religious, will have an almost endless dinner. Mm-hmm. It's three hours is, is normal, four hours is not abnormal. The talk will go from, from the most mundane to the most elevated, but it's there true. will always be some elevated talk. Right. Because in Judaism, it's actually a sin to have a communal meal and not to talk quote-unquote Torah. There's this, another statement from the Talmud, three Jews eat together and did not speak any Torah. It's as if they ate from the altar of the dead. I love that. I want to quote that. You were asking me in this episode, sorry, we're going on so many tangents. I want to tell my story about Shabbat Jair, but, but I want to respond to this because you asked me at the beginning of this episode, if I can talk to my friends about these matters. The, the answer is really no. And I want to sort of, I mean, I wouldn't because I don't think it would be effective or appreciated, but I sort of want to bring that quote to them and go, we, we are sort of succumbing to the altar of, we are sort of eating from the altar of the dead if we avoid this stuff. Anyway, that, I, I love that. that. That really moved me. But th- these Shabbat dinners are so fun. But I'll, I'll, you probably know this, but you may not. At the beginning, uncomfortable is the wrong word. I was taken aback by the amount that all of you at the table would, would joke about sex. And, by and, the, we're, and we're all committed to Torah and God. Oh, I just want to make and clear. Of course, of course. I'm, yes, you're all committed to Torah and God. You all have your you know, wives sitting there. Oh, yeah, the wives are of all Of course, there. And, right. and children in you know, many right. cases. And, yes. and the children, you know, children are not, not young children, but, you right. know. Yeah, the, but they're children. Yes, right. are participating. And, you know, it's not constant. It's not like no, you know, every but, five but, sentences. But it happens. But it happens. And it's not, you know, unbelievably crass or crude, but it happens. And I just grew up in a home where that was just, my parents never talked about sex, ever. And by the way, my parents listen to this podcast. Thank you for not talking about sex because I think it would make me uncomfortable. I think it's better to go to a Shabbat dinner, at least for me. Um, and like hear it from other adults than my own parents. But I've come to to realize, I, I have not only gotten rid of the taken abackness that I usually had, but I actually really appreciate it now when you guys do it because it wow, is real. Wow. It, it, and precisely for what you just raised. I am very touched it is real. You react that way. And, it is real. That's and right. it's helped me. And again, I am I am bearing all here with, with the viewers, but you guys have kind of destigmatized it for me. And Look, everyone has sexual... It's made me realize everyone has sexual thoughts. It's, it's not, like, it's like, it's not it's something a, to be ashamed of. It's right. real. It's like I never think of money. I never think of food. I mean, what can't lead to sin? So you should think of nothing. Right. And there are people who think that that's, way. That you, is a real... I know you, I've been saying you, really good points. Yeah, no, well, Sorry, Juliet. But it's such a good yes, point. Yes, it is. And that's why yes, there is a sort of true. ideal within the Christian world. There had been or has been or is an ideal of the, the monk or the nun. And I'm not saying all monks and nuns are like this at all, but of certainly in the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. of just a life of prayer. That all you think about essentially is God. And uh, I think God will look at them and say, I don't understand. I made all of these things in life, food and material items and sex, and all you could think about is me? Mm. What you, it's so true what you just said because literally everything will lead you to a sinful thought. That's right. And does God, and By the way, has God not led to sinful thoughts? How many people killed in the name of God? Right. And, and it's, just, it's just impossible, not to mention it's not a good thing or, you know, it's, it's just impossible to have perfectly clean, perfect thoughts all the time. But it's not desirable. Well, that's right. my that's what point. I was it's beyond not, 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 not plausible. It is not desirable. Right. Think but what you think. Now, if you dwell on molesting children, that is a very bad thing. You're sick because normal people don't dwell on molesting children. That's a really bad thing. You need help immediately, and God forbid it should ever lead to action. So I'm not talking about that. But but uh, the, the most obvious is the one, obviously, the lust issue. But right. there, there, there are so many. The, the, the death issue. I, I wish my mom would finally die. That's what opened me up to this because mm-hmm. I said to the guy, what, are you kidding? You're a great son. And the guy thought I was mocking him. I'll never forget that. He truly thought I was making fun of him. He calls up to tell me he's a crappy son, and I'm telling him you're a great son. One of us is wrong. That's clear. Where do you think this comes from in Christianity? Why is there this divide? So that's a very, that's a, that's a great question. So here's my theory. Prager theory number 84273, subsection B. <laughs> it's so true. Right. So here it is. So you'll get a big kick out of this, and so will our listeners. So I grew up an Orthodox Jew in a sort of Orthodox ghetto in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. I not only didn't know non-Jews, I didn't know non-Orthodox Jews. Wow. I, it, was a, it was a closed world in which I grew up. I had up. the dead opposite. I didn't know any religious people. Okay, that's Maybe right. Maybe one a or lot, two. Most people grow up in a cocoon. That's <laughs> yes. exactly right. Most I, people do. So that was my cocoon. But I knew it was a cocoon very early on because I remember as in, in elementary school, I would try to talk to the mailman. 
He was my one Gentile that I had regular contact with, and I would ask him about his family life. That's and so, so funny. I know, it's very funny. Not that you were in prison. Please don't take this the wrong way, but I have this image of like some, someone know, in prison being right. in contact. Yes, that's right. Contact. Let me talk to some, or solitary yes. confinement. Yeah, that's right, right. Yeah. So around high school or even late elementary school, because I thought about things from a very early age, I thought, wow, Christians have it really, really easy. We, we can't eat certain foods. We can't do a whole host of things on the Sabbath once a week. We've got all these laws. Christians have none of these laws. They just have to believe in Jesus. They're saved. What a great deal. And so I often have said I had Christian envy. What, what a deal, man. I got stuck with all these laws, and all you have to do <laughs> is believe. I never heard this about you. Oh, yes. I had, That's funny. Yeah, oh, you'll love this. So I, I had Christian envy. I lost Christian envy much later. My first radio work was the host of a very, very popular show on ABC in Los Angeles, and it was called Religion on the Line for 10 years, August 82 to August 92. I was the host, and each week there would be a priest, minister, and a rabbi, different ones each week. And I had this two hours of dialogue every week with every type of Catholic uh, priest and every type of Protestant minister, and well, and the rabbis, of course, because of that I've had already. And around the four-year mark, I lost Christian envy. Mm. And this answers your question. Ready? So Christians, unlike Jews, don't have any guilt over eating ham, over, you know, they don't have they don't have to fast on, on Yom Kippur. Oh. They, they they don't they don't have to uh, avoid any sort of, of, of work on, on on the Sabbath and so on, and uh, that's true. But they made a trade Christianity. It's not guilt over over behavior. It's guilt over thought. That was the trade Christianity made. Jews have guilt over behavior. Christians have guilt over thought. The very fact that you're only saved if you believe in Christ means thought is really important. Right. Jews want you to believe in God. Right. But if you have if you have a very tough time believing in God and you and you keep the law, you go to as much of heaven as the biggest believer in, in whoever lived in Judaism. Well, Christians, and I know I know you mean this. They not only have guilt over thoughts, but they have they have double. They have guilt about thoughts and behavior. That's Jews right. just have yes. guilt about uh, right. behavior. That's right. There was I was talking with a uh, conservative Jewish friend. Not I mean yes, conservative politically, but conservative in, as far as denominationally uh, Jewish friend from college. And yes, there is a conservative Jew at Harvard, believe it or not. And he was telling me, you would probably know where this is in, in the Old Testament, but he was telling me that there's some line somewhere that essentially conveys that not it is not possible. We, we cannot expect that everyone will follow Judaism the exact way that we want them to or follow all the laws. All the laws. Right. But as long as people believe in God, essentially, I'm not saying this very well, but essentially, not that it doesn't matter how, but the, but the primary, the primary, uh, the priority is that they believe in God and accept the values of the Torah. I will ask him and get back to all of you on what this is because it, it was fascinating how he described it. And he said, that's why I as a Jew have no problem with Christians. And I believe that Christians will go to heaven even though they don't accept because my Judaism. Because judges behavior, Be, yes. not theology. Yes, and because I know it's not possible for everyone to be a Jew. And as long as there's, you know, I think of it well, as a Venn diagram. not just possible, it's not the aim. The aim of, right. if Jews understood the aim, the aim is to bring the world to the God of the Torah. Right. I have spent my life trying to do that. Whether you express it as a Protestant, Catholic, Mormon, Ethical monotheist, that is not my concern. That, mm -hmm. that is your concern. My concern, or Jew, by the way, you're certainly welcome to become a Jew, but but since there is no reward in heaven for being a Jew that is not available to a non-Jew who is mm -hmm. good, mm -hmm. we don't have the same right. compulsion to convert people. Right. Right. Well, when my Jewish friend was talking about this, it made me think of a Venn diagram. If you have Judaism and Christianity, you know, as the two circles, they need to, they, there's a critical point at which they need to intersect for, for well, that's, that's the ethical monotheist point. That's why America was such a great place. Right. It's the one truly Judeo-Christian world. Right. And what the founders did was they took the best of both. Mm -hmm. That and it is painful beyond words to see this unraveling under the under the attack of the left wing intelligentsia. It, 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 this this is the Judeo Christian country to the extent that the founders said Americans are the second Israel, not taking over. It's not replacement. Oh, that's wow. Oh, that was a very big theme. The second Israel. Why didn't they call it the? I guess I'm trying to think of what number Rome it would be. But most, you know, Bismarck. Yeah, well, right. You know, it wasn't the second Rome why, or why not? the second Greece. That's, that's very interesting. Oh, no, no, why you're, Israel you're, you're, instead of Rome or Greece? Because that was the foundational moral. You, mm. they, you didn't get morality from the Greeks and Romans. You got wisdom. You got insight. You got how to make a government. But you got your morality from Jerusalem. You know the thought that just popped into my head? Yet. It is what you said last episode about how it pains you that your work cannot get out to more people. Well, uh, I just had that uh, thought because in this conversation – I have learned so much. I this is this is an aside, obviously, but 
I learned so much from this podcast. I can't believe that I get to do this as a job. I said that to you coming in today. So what do you think I feel? Uh, I, I feel the same way. I can't, I can't believe I get to do, do this as a job. I, it was a blessing from God. But, I'm, but that's not the point you're making. The point you're making, yes, I wish these ideas got to more right. people. That is why, no, no matter, look, I was just in Denmark getting a, you know, a big speech with a nice audience and in the parliament. But I, I don't revel in that. I, I, I think, you know, how many people in Denmark really know what I have to say? It's, it's an infinitesimally small number. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing, and you know, and I think most people listening, it has zero to do with ego. It's not, it's not an ego thing. It's, it's purely idealistic. It's, I have felt since high school I had a recipe. I had, I had no, not a recipe, though that's not not improper term here, but I had a prescription. I had, I had an antidote to evil. By the way, the, it's interesting. Again, the Talmud. The human being has poison in him, and the Torah is the antidote. That is an exact phrase in the, in, the, in the Talmud. And the second part of that sentence is not, and that person should fret over the fact that they have poison in them, or that person That's should cor- right. corporally mortificate you, their mind. You, you, you truly and, and, and also, that actually really brings me a lot of comfort, because we know that every single word in the Torah, in the Bible, is a, was specifically chosen and incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So it is no mistake that that is the way that the sentence is phrased. If they, well, that's from the Talmud. But or yes, the Talmud, yes, excuse yes. me. But, but still, right. you know, if, if the message, if it was really important to convey, you have to constantly hate yourself for the poison, then that would have been conveyed. That's right. You got it so clearly. It, it is so liberating to have this this vision. And, and not only that, it helps it helps you be a better human being. Right. I know what I have to fight. Right. If I've suppressed it, how do I know? If you've suppressed it the whole time, one day it's going to erupt. Well, right. That's what I was saying you earlier about that. the, the blowing that. off the steam. Yes, that was a great insight. So this makes me think of leftists. And the extent to which they reconcile the, with their... Well, do they acknowledge that they the have that of, They're the worst of all, all worlds. Because, uh, perfect example, what Donald Trump said about grabbing women mm-hmm. in their privates... Right, we talked said, about that on the episode. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> episode four, yes, minute exactly. 15, I second yes. 37. See, I think it actually was episode four. But that's a perfect example. What you say privately is more or less the same as what you think privately, which is by definition private, what you think. Right, right. What do I care what, what, uh, what he said? I, I'm a Jew. I don't care if somebody spouts off against Jews in pillow talk with his wife. Episode nine, she was only missed by five. Horrible mortification in the brain. How dare I miss it by five episodes? Horrible, horrible, horrible. No, I'm not going to do that. Hey, you know what? I, I knew it was in the first 10. Okay. Tell me when we're ready <laughs> to return to Earth. <laughs> well, let us return. by that much. Exactly. The, the, the guy said it privately, or, or if somebody says bad things about a group privately and, and, and believes no one ever heard it, but my grandfather had anger at blacks. A black man murdered his father-in-law. I actually saw the piece from a New York newspaper. Wow. He was captured in the South somewhere, and they brought him to trial. So he, he, he came from Europe, and, and uh, his, his father-in-law was murdered by a black man. And so he had anger at blacks. And we, we you know, it, it bounced off the rest of the family because no, nobody had similar anger. And he came from Eastern Europe. He had not seen a black person in his life in, in Eastern Europe. Anyway, we had a, a black housekeeper whom we adored. She was truly a member of the family, Ethel. You he, racist had a black housekeeper? Yes, wow. that's right. Well, today they have Hispanic housekeepers. <laughs> right. And she, uh, he treated her so beautifully. And I learned a very important lesson from that. So fine, he was somewhat bigoted against blacks. I knew it because he loved boxing. So when he was at my house for the weekend, on Saturday night, we'd watch boxing. I was a kid, and he'd root for the white boxer. And I remember laughing. I, what am I, I don't give a damn who wins. I don't, I don't care about right. boxing. So I had none of that, but he did. And I remember being able to say, yeah, but look at how well he treats Ethel. I was able at such a young age to distinguish between his, his unfortunate bigotry, but his behavior was fine. Mm. And that's what matters. It, it, was, it was like in the Cheney family, I think, isn't one of the daughters gay? I think oh. I think so, and she was very angry at her sister. She said, "Oh yeah, she treats gays really well, but she but she's not pro homosexuality." So I thought, "Wait a minute, she treats gays well. Right. What else matters? Right. They're totalitarian on on the left. Right. They want to know what you think. You know, many asked Dennis, do you do you think that it was an honest election in 2020?'" I said, "What's the difference? What I think? I recognize Joe Biden as president of the United States. End of issue. Why do you care what I think? I don't ask you what you think. I only care what you do." Mic drop. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking, imagine if we were all just, look, I think that private talk is important because, of course, in in life, things need to be private. But imagine if we were just all so much more open about the fact that everyone, in a sense, has prejudices, even if they're small, or as we're talking about bad thoughts, or why, why can't we just acknowledge it and as you say, be authentic about it? Because we're living in the non-wisdom age, right? where what you think or what you say privately tells us everything we need to know about you, and these people are stupid. Which is also just so stupid, because even if you think you know what other people think, you really don't fully know. It's impossible to really right, know right. what other people think at all times. If you were in my car all the time, and in my brain, you would know I hate every group. 
Because whoever is driving slowly in the left lane, <laughs> I not only hate them, I hate their group. Yeah, you especially. Dennis is a very fast driver. That's true. That's uh, Okay, that's true. Right. Okay. No, I... But, but who cares? That's the point, though. It doesn't matter. And, and, and I can laugh at my own thoughts at those moments. I remember, I'll never forget, I saw an Orthodox Jew in the, slowly in the left lane. Orthodox Jews! <laughs> you know, the one group that's, of Jews that tend to support my, my thinking. Or I remember a nun, and I go, oh, nuns, they are the worst possible drivers. <laughs> How many nuns have I ever seen drive a car? Two? Three? <laughs> I don't want to humiliate my dad, but he, my dad is actually the most non prejudice I'm convinced that man actually has no prejudices. He is so pure, so lovely, like just the best. He, whenever he's, we're driving with him and there's a slow driver, he'll go, look at how slow she is. And my mom and I will go, you're assuming that it's a woman. He was caught. And then then we go, and then what we always do Uh, is we zoom ahead and try to see if it's a woman. And I have a very, very stark, stark, excuse me, admission. 90% of the time, they are women. 90% 90% of the time That's, they are. That was my theory. My wife claims, because whenever we do it, she's as annoyed with slow drivers in the left lane as I am. She says, it, it's more men than I think. Oh, it's more men? No, no, no. It's more men than I think. Oh. It, oh, it, it, no, oh, it's not it. more men than oh, women. It, got it, more got men it. than I think. Yeah. My mom and I were always so I know, determined I know, to prove I, I him totally wrong. Get it. And we say to him, That's the one area where, you have, where you're sexist uh-huh. is when there you're you driving. Go. Yeah, yeah. You caught him. I caught him. You Sorry, caught Dad. This has really been terrific. This. This, this is such an important discussion. It, it is, and I want our viewers... By the way, forgive me. Did I tell you forgiven. that I had a major dialogue with one of the, one of the greatest Christian theologians? And the... Uh, the I, think, I wonder if it's on, on uh, YouTube. Many years, many well, maybe 10 years ago in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I asked him this question because we got to, got to the lust issue and, and Jesus' comment. So I said, okay, so Jesus says, if you're lust after another woman, you've committed adultery with your heart. Okay. We both know that you can only commit adultery if one of the two parties is married. Single people cannot commit adultery. So if a single man lusts after a single woman, is it a sin? Well, when you say single, is that person, not, can that person have a girlfriend or boyfriend? Or okay, you just we're truly assuming, single? Yeah, you're truly single. Right? Oh. Anyway, the boyfriend, girlfriend has no status in the adultery issue. Right. You can't commit adultery against the boyfriend. You could cheat, but you can't mm. commit adultery. So I, I, re- I return to my question that I asked him. Is it okay for a Christian man to lust after, an, he's, he's, he's not married, He's not engaged. Engaged has a, has a legal status in Judaism, at least. And she is neither engaged nor nor married. Has he committed a sin? Okay, so that wasn't the, the excerpt that I wanted to play. Now, I was making strange faces because that wasn't... I was trying to find a particular expert, a uh, particular excerpt that I promise you would just absolutely crack you up. Yeah, the green juice I was drinking. Uh, yeah, it finally had an effect. I, I dug out it. I... I got to find it. to his great credit, he said, I have, I've never thought about that, and I've never been asked that. He did not, he, but he did not say it was a sin. Hmm. I really admire when people do that one a day, nowadays, especially when they're supposed to be an expert on something. As that yes, I, would, go, I, I don't know. I, I, haven't... I would have no problem saying hmm. that. But I, I just want people to understand that's a very, it's a legitimate question it to is, ask. It is. So then it's only a sinful thought if you're married. It's not a sinful thought if you're not married. Can't commit adultery if you're not married. That's true. Wow. I, I would be very interested to hear from our Christian viewers, yeah. especially what they think of this conversation. I, I just learned, I want our viewers to know, and I want you to know that I, I do, you know, think of the viewers first when I come here to talk, because I'm always thinking, you know, what would be the most interesting for them? And we, in other words, we take our job very seriously, but I just want to say this has, this, <laughs> this job of mine has had the dual benefit of just being so helpful to me personally. It's meant to be. I come yes. here and I bear all. For your Christian, uh, for our Christian listeners, mm-hmm. I your Christian writers, I, I want to just show how it benefits Christians, my attitude. That's yes. all about behavior. Doggone it. I can't find the excerpt. It was, it was brilliant. You'd say 40. It was all worth it. Everything you just put me through would have been all worth it. The, the payoff would have just been transcendent. And I can't find it. I, I just had so much wisdom to share. My God. All right. Letters from the Rav, Joseph Bear Soloveitchik. This is Professor Mark Shapiro. All you have to do is look at Sefer Malachim, and you can see the low levels that uh, the, the people of Israel uh, uh, fell to. So the Rav says that this is the great test. We've never had the opportunity to be an oppressor. We've never had the opportunity. I mean, how naive is that? We've never had the opportunity to be oppressor as Jews. So I looked up oppression. All right. And it's it's to act cruelly or unjustly. Well, cruelty and injustice is in large part in the eye of the observer. If I did this show and I didn't flash you a smile, 
I, you could very well feel oppressed. I mean, if I if you came to L.A. and I didn't want to hang out with you, you might well feel oppressed. I mean, there there are so many ways of you know oppressing people. All right, if I if I don't accept your gay marriage, you might very well feel you know oppressed. Uh, so this idea that uh, Jews haven't had the opportunity to oppress people because they haven't had a nation state for approximately two thousand years until. Uh, the rebirth of the modern state of Israel in 1948. I mean, how naive is that? Jews have had power. We all have power, right? We we may have the power of the charisma, the power of the, the the pocketbook, the power to hire and fire. We may have the power of you know very visceral attraction, right? Anyone with power, right, is going to have the ability to oppress. So this idea that somehow Jews have never had the opportunity to oppress because they haven't had a nation state. There are many ways, all right, to um, oppress people. You don't, uh, you don't need the the nation state. Opportunity to um, where our ethics are called, um, you know, are tested to see how we're going to respond. He says, I mean, that absolute nonsense. Your, your ethics are tested even if you don't have a nation state. Uh, Jewish ethics have been tested during the 1900 years they didn't have a nation state. Now we have that opportunity, and he says, I hope, he says, I'm not certain, but I hope we will rise to the task and we'll, sh- and we'll, we'll behave as the Torah wants us to behave. But like I said, fascinating that the Rav says he's not sure we have it, and that it could be that... So, yeah, Julie Hartman is not Jewish, uh, right? Obviously, Jews speak much more frankly about money, about sex, about, you know, the natural passions than do non-Jews, by and large. So she, she's obviously a Gentile. And yes, she graduated from Harvard, and she published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about two years ago, decrying Harvard students as sheep for going along with all the COVID restrictions. We're going to be like every other nation that when push comes to shove, when we're given the opportunity, we're going to forget about uh, the, the higher values and we'll go straight for real politique. So, Oh, so once we get a nation state, oh no, we will forget about the higher values and we'll just go straight for real politique. Well, guess what? You never get to transcend reality, right? Even Tucker Carlson. All right, who supposedly makes a hundred million dollars for Fox News? Supposedly he's on such you know tight bonds, such a good friend of Lachlan Murdoch, who he thought was the power behind Fox News. Or even Tucker Carlson got let go. So you never get to transcend real politique. You never get to you know transcend reality. And so this uh, religious thinker Joseph Bersolovechik. You know, decrying the possibility that uh, Israel might be limited to real politique. Well, you never, never get to transcend the laws of gravity. Now, that doesn't mean that your only options ever will be real politique, but you never get to exist where real politique is not a consideration. The primary concern for every nation state must be survival, which means real politique. Now, if your survival is assured and you're very strong, then you can afford be afforded the luxury of ethics but if you're fighting for your survival you don't really have the luxury of uh, these high-minded moral concerns so uh, for anyone who's concerned like i said with the direction uh, of the so-called uh, religious zionist uh, parties in israel party in israel today uh, uh, you can now uh, listen to this from the rough okay my friends we are now looking the last three letters no by email but uh, thank you very much and everybody should be well and have a happy occasion as we mentioned at the so this is the uh, the host. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but anyway, again, I want to pick up on something. Beginning, uh, is, you know, especially being Yom HaShoah, that we should the school of our learning. So Yom HaShoah, that was about uh, a week ago, Holocaust Memorial Day. I don't know. I, there's nothing I can say. You know, I uh, I went to Auschwitz only in 2015. We went to Poland, so I went to Poland for the first time, and it's like a speechless thing. It's like a, it's, it's unbelievable. And I just uh, you know I will commemorate it in 25 years from now. I told my students today at chat that their kids aren't going to know any survivors, and a lot of them are grandchildren or great grandchildren, really depending of survivors. And uh, we're reaching the end of that that generation. So uh, I don't know, but anyways, I just figured it's something important to mention. And I'm sorry if I don't my words are not adequate, but uh, anyways, we should have uh, good times. And Mark, what you said before on the Rubs comment, you were still here. That uh, my son always liked to talk about that. Uh, we weren't, we didn't have the ability to oppress for for 2000. I mean, how nonsensical is that? How stupid is that? That the Jews, because they didn't have a nation state, they didn't have the ability to oppress. We all have the ability to oppress. If I don't accept your gay marriage, you may very well experience that as oppression. If I don't give you a smile when I see you, all right, you may experience that as oppression. All right, oppression is heavily subjective. Years and let's hope that we don't take advantage now that we do have that ability. I think that's such a powerful statement of the Rav and such a, what he was referring to that you know who knows if we'll be different and if we're not that's. 
Ah, so what was this this ex excerpt here from? Let me see if this is it. Being taken care of. Right. So I want to ask to you, what is the difference between happiness and contentment? And what do you think that's why creates I, I, each? That, that's why that's I use contentment. Someone else does. It makes no difference for the noticeable oh, Come on. Would Luke promote LG to know that? I mean, a lot oh, of good things the going to Almond Joy. Oh, it's not just man. a bad thing. Right. Oh, bloody hell. There's, there's just this amazing excerpt that I'm just dying to play you. And, and you'll thank me for it. Believe me. Most evangelical Christians think that I cannot be saved because I don't believe in Christ. Why doesn't that bother me? I mean, that, that's a big deal. I mean, basically, I'm a, they think I'm going to hell in, in most cases. It does not trouble me. Why? Because I judge them by their behavior. Oh, man. I've I failed you. I, I've let you down. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Doggone it. I had, uh, I had gold, I tell you, gold. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm rattled, I'm thrown off. The, the world has changed. Donald Lemon's been let go from CNN. Tucker Carlson's been let go from Fox News. Uh, I need to pull it together, maybe another day. I'll pull it together for now. Bye-bye.